0: Susie, welcome to the Encouragers United podcast for this week. Why don't you take a couple minutes and introduce yourself to our listeners? Well,
1: hi, uh, Coach. (laughs) It's great to just be here with you and your listeners. My name is Susie Lance. I'm from Canton, Ohio. I've been here for, gosh, over 25 years now. It was Malone College, now Malone University, that brought me here to Canton. I was a runner, and that's uh, how I met you, Coach. I was born and raised in Youngstown, uh, grew up in Poland, Ohio. Everyone always uh, comments that my accent's so good when I say I'm from Poland, uh, thinking that it's actually Europe, but I'm actually an identical twin. I um, was a surprise to this world. My mom had no idea I was on my way, uh, but she had my sister Chrissy, who also was uh, a runner at Malone. And two minutes later, the doctor said, hey, Miss Sharon, I think you're having another baby. <laughs> she said, I wasn't planning on that for several years. And there I was. So wow. we had had simultaneous heartbeats. It was back in the 70s. And they didn't really do ultrasounds all that routinely. Yeah, it was a great surprise. <laughs> and, I did not know uh, that
0: story. That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was the third child in our family of four. We rounded out with uh, our younger brother, John, and my dad was an attorney. Uh, My mom was a school teacher and then stayed home uh, later on. And we just really, when I look back at my childhood, we had you know, just an incredible family experience, Uh, just a lot of fun and laughter. Our family was involved with a church plant, so just... You know, a lot of serving and ministry and a lot of our extended family that had uh, all immigrated from Yugoslavia were around us as I was growing up. So lots of grandparents, aunts, uncles, influences that, you know, I look back at such a great heritage um, that I was privileged to grow up in. Yeah, just a little bit about me. Fell in love with running in middle school, and it really definitely shaped a lot of the future things that I did.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about that because, you know, runners are a very special breed in this world. Uh, there's many <laughs> listeners probably that aren't runners, but what attracted it to you first? And, and again, take us back to those middle school days when you first started, you know, realizing who you were and you got involved with sport. What what does that mean to you? Or what what was most exciting for you back then? Um,
1: you know, to be perfectly honest, what got me to track wasn't actually the running it was something all my friends were signing up to do, and my sister, she was more, I would say, the natural fighter athlete type uh, wiring, And but everybody was doing it. Everybody was going out for track, and my um, geography teacher, Dan Flood, was the track coach, and he was just a phenomenal guy, and so I couldn't say no. I signed up, and lo and behold, it turned out that I had some natural talent, <laughs> and uh, so through middle school, it was just so much fun. I was having success, but more in it for the social aspects. And um, But then as high school came around, it got a lot more serious. And that's when you know my mindset shifted towards running. I began to be a little more intentional and uh, develop a little more as a consistent runner. But I just fell in love with the sport. There was something about it. Um, there was a team aspect that I loved. I was very social and I, I loved the connections. But the individual aspect to really see kind of what you were made of. You could set your own personal goals and go after them. There was something really appealing about that to me. Um, And so I really just fell in love with the sport.
0: Did you do any other sports growing up?
1: Um, I was a gymnast and I was a cheerleader. (laughs) You know, I've always had that encouraging type, you know, positivity. And so it was just something that kind of was natural and fun.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that, but that makes sense. Um, (laughs) I do understand that uh, nature of track and field, though, and and being an individual sport in this community of – you know, different athletes doing all these different varieties of, you know, athletic endeavors, throwing and jumping and hurdling and pole vaulters and, you know, sprinters and long distance runners and relays. And it's like a circus. My, my dad and my grandfather used to call it a circus. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're going to the circus to watch, you know, Charlie run. But that kind of led you to choose Malone University, Malone College back then. Tell us then about the college decision. Like when you came up to that age, you were looking at options Tell us just the quick story maybe about how you selected Malone.
1: Um, Well, my sister, like I I mentioned, I'm an identical twin. And she and I, um, she actually held our school record in the 400 meters by a a thousandth of a second. (laughs) We were extremely close in talent. And so, as you can imagine, coaches were recruiting us as a package deal. They wanted a lead off and an anchor runner for their 4x8 and the 4x4 teams. Um, and just, you know, we were cross-country runners as well. Um, and so we were recruited um, by a number of different schools, our junior and senior year, a lot of college visits, a lot of looking at um, different programs, the mentality. And I think, you know, I didn't have the mindset back then. I was, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid. But I think what was um, coming to mind was the culture. <laughs> you know, when I look at it as an adult, there was such a sharp contrast between the programs we were looking at And the culture the dynamic the atmosphere of the teams and the coaches themselves and i knew that i wanted to run for somebody who had vision who had experience uh, credibility and really wasn't just recruiting the athlete but actually the person and that's where malone just stood out far and away above the crowd and so Coach Hazen, who was the cross-country coach, he was the guy who was recruiting us. My sister and I ran uh, the cross-country invitational at the time. It was the largest in the state. And we met Coach Hazen, saw his program, recognized what a phenomenal coach he was. At the time, he was coaching for the World Games team. And then he, in 1996, which is the year I came to Malone, (laughs) dating myself a little, he had just, you know, been uh, the distance coach for the Atlanta games and just, He was so brilliant, but also had this humility about him. I remember sitting with him and talking to him and his confidence was something that really stood out. He told us, if you follow my program, he's like, I've done research and I've trained with the best. 99% of my athletes will peak at the right time if you follow it to the letter. And he was so confident, but there was also this humility and this humorous side of him that allowed me to see... um, that he was still learning. He was still growing as a leader, as a coach, who at the time had a ton of experience and a ton of success. But that really drew me to Malone and the program. And then when I began to meet the team, a lot of them came to the state meet my senior year to cheer us on. It was so unique. I realized they were trying to build a family, build a culture, and not just, um, you know, it wasn't just the coach that was trying to, to build that team so that he could win. Um, and that really got really stood out against other programs that were recruiting us you no
0: know, that's an awesome story I, I've heard it before but I really appreciate you sharing it because you know we'll both date ourselves but ultimately you were you competed your freshman year there at Malone and then there was a coaching transition on the on the track side and that's where you and I first met talk about the aspect of the sport of track and field and I think it's probably present in other sports like um, gymnastics uh, perhaps mm-hmm. swimming I think of cross-country of course and in the individual nature but then you either competing in a track meet or you're cheering that's what you know you described that Malone was was kind of uh, because there's other programs out there that may not have that philosophy and you're just there to compete and you work and it's all about you and you know but tell us uh, how exciting that was uh, because you're you're dabbling in being a coach now how has that affected you and your leadership not only as Mm -hmm. a cross-country coach now but talk to us about the sporting aspect of either competing and certainly challenging yourself or being a cheerleader.
1: Well, I think, you know, it's interesting when I look back at just like you said, you're at the circus, you're at a track meet and you're competing all day. And so you do have to worry about your own performance, particularly in those higher stake meets as you're getting to the end of the season and you need to qualify, you have to be sharp and focused and ready. And I think there's something to that. You know, you can't spend all day out in the sun cheering on your teammates if you're not ready to go. And I think the leadership lesson there is, have you put in the time? Have you put in the focus? Do you know yourself to lead yourself? And for me, this might sound odd, but I figured out a strategy early on in my running days that once I did it and knew it, I could go cheer for the world. I had to have a moment after I'd warm up and kind of get my mindset ready. I find a mirror or a glass or a window where I could just look at myself and stare down any fear that had to come for whatever that day's meets help, whatever events I was competing in, whatever insecurities. And I would just make sure that, you know, I was ready. My mindset was ready that any fear, any doubt, any insecurity, I could face down, I could stare it out of myself and just remind myself of the positive. You know the performance, all the hard practices I had put in, that I was ready and I was never gonna be more ready than I was at that moment. There was nothing else I could do. Once I spent that time getting my mindset right, I could go and cheer for anybody else. I was gonna be ready when I stepped onto that track. If I didn't take the time to do that and prepare myself in the way I knew I needed, I had no business cheering for everybody else because my race was gonna suffer. And so I think as leaders, we really need to know ourselves ourselves before we start giving away (laughs) to other people. You know, you have to be a healthy version of yourself because genuinely, I think the influence that I had on the track was because I actually could perform. (laughs) If I was losing every race I ran, you know, people would have been nice to me, but they wouldn't have really cared what I was doing to train for the 1500 or the 800. But because I was a good performer, because I was actually taking care of my own performance first and then being a great teammate and cheering them on or coaching or mentoring i was actually able to be a leader worth following and i think sometimes based on our tendencies you know we can give away so much to other people that our own performance suffers and we lose our credibility and so i think it's you know, that was definitely something that track you know instilled in me as i look back on those years
0: what a great life lesson you know now i'm sure you're taking into your career into your leadership now uh, I was maybe you weren't prepared to talk about it, but you're a coach. Yeah. Tell us about that really briefly okay. what who are you working with and why did what sure. prompted you to get into that?
1: Yeah, well, I work for a great company called Giant um, and Giant is all about we have consultants all over the world consultants and coaches, and our whole number one aim is to help leaders become a hundred percent healthy in who they are and how they lead and then how to learn how to multiply that leadership um so we really Want people to bring their best, no matter what arena they're in, whether it's at home, at work, at play. We want people to be leaders worth following, not just leaders people have to follow. And so, you know, for me, I had an education background. I was an English major, English teacher, secondary ed. Um, I was a coach, you know, when I first started teaching, and I loved that. I loved being able to see people's potential and bring out the best in them. Um, and then my husband and I, we Uh, went into church planting and just, you know, that was a a whole new landscape of leadership for me. Um, But then I really began to work with leaders within churches and nonprofits to help them live out their purpose, figure out who they were and what they were called to do and then figure out the nuance of, well, how do I lead? (laughs) Some people, you know, there's, there's some in the world who are naturally born to lead and they, they've figured it out from the elementary you know, recess yard. They just step up and they start directing. Other people have a different style of leadership and sometimes they need a little more confidence or coaching to step up to the plate and lead. And so in my role, my previous role, as I was helping people figure out what their purpose was and how to really live into that, but then also how to connect other people, how to lead others, that's where I discovered Giant, honestly. I began, they use very simple visual tools. In fact, our filter is that if an educated 13-year-old can't learn our tools and begin to use them with the people that they're leading or working with, they're way too complicated. What it allows for is uh, for culture to form. You can actually use objective language with tools that help things to be scalable, and that way an entire team, an entire organization can learn that Uh, and practice good, healthy leadership. You know, it's so much fun for me because whether I'm working with an individual one-on-one or whether it's a whole team or an entire organization, I get to work with people who are proactively trying to be the best leaders they can be and then helping to multiply that and replicate that throughout their teams, families, and organizations. It's fun.
0: (laughs) I, I really appreciate you explaining that because I think that is... You know, even in my, I won't go into it all, but I've learned that in, through life experience myself and that, you know, was probably forged and, in, in, you know, brought into some leadership roles really early in my life. And I hadn't done that work where, uh, like you're proposing, is that we learn about ourselves and become the best version of ourselves. And that's a process. It's, you know, not perfection attained, sure. but uh, a process to, you know, understand our own story and do the hard work of our own training, which goes back to this metaphor that you kind of presented to us, is that you stare yourself in the mirror, you look in the glass, and you are prepared or not and and that mm-hmm. actually is the platform that then provides you the opportunity to come alongside somebody else and say, "Hey, I know you can do this uh, you know go for go for it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it be an, be an encourager really is about doing the pre work." Uh, and that right. that process ahead of time. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And that's you know the exciting part of uh, leading now in the in the leadership role that you're in is that you're coming alongside somebody. I'm gonna put you on the spot here, um, yeah. um, but I want you to think fast and tell me sure. some of the the most common pitfalls that you face when you've been working with a client or an organization. Tell us about that leader that isn't quite doing the. The work. What are some of the traits or characteristics that you've identified? Uh, and and again, maybe bring it back to your track career. And, and you know, you're trying to run a race, and you're not prepared, you're going to get beat. Right. What are those right. characteristics that you observe in an organization or in an individual who actually hasn't done that work? And that's what sure. you're then going to focus on with them, saying, "Oh, by the way, you need to actually work on this to get to where you want to go."
1: Well, I think the. The neat thing that I've been learning that's given me a ton of confidence myself but then a lot of humility is that the truth is we all have broccoli in our teeth. We all have tendencies that if we're not intentional with ourselves to look in the mirror, everybody else around us sees it and it's painful when somebody has to point it out. And so, you know, our, one of our axioms is you've got to know yourself to lead yourself and know your tendencies some of us have tendencies um to really uh be quick thinkers and great in the moment you know like they can work they're leaders who work well on their feet so immediately you get them in a meeting and say hey what's your ideas and they've got brilliant ones i mean they start spit firing and all of a sudden you think these people are geniuses sometimes a personality like that their tendency is that they won't follow through on all the details, they're such big picture thinkers. They're so high level, with full of ideas and imagination and charisma, that when it comes down to the discipline of the day in, day out follow through, routine maintenance, they're not showing up for practice. You know, to use our track, you know, analogy, and day in, day out, they lose credibility. And so that's sometimes a broccoli in their teeth. Uh, there's other leaders who just don't understand. Maybe they are the disciplined, very routine, uh, tasky type person, but under stress and pressure, they forget that people exist. (laughs) And so instead of being kind or having any grace, when they're trying to get something done, they're like a bulldozer and they can just power through their family, their team, because their ultimate goal is to reach their objective and check off everything and their list. And so they undermine their credibility. And so it really is, uh, it's different with each personality type. And so I usually start there with people helping them understand who they are because all of us have strengths to bring to the table. None of us is off the hook. You know, there's quieter people, there's quieter leaders who for different reasons, um, you know, aren't going to offer their opinions or their thoughts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're off the hook if a bad idea gets put into play. And then, three months down the road, they're like, I knew that wasn't going to work. Well, why didn't you say something? Sometimes it's it's looking at the dynamics. So I usually start with uh, some personality things and really helping leaders understand who they are, what their responsibility is to that team, and then actually helping them strategically work on the areas they need to grow in. Because there's natural areas of conflict and synergy that just develop within a team. Um, you know, if use our track analogy, if the throwers were trying to run the mile, that's not going to work out. We need them to bring their strength to their event and let the milers and those long distance people run their race. But vice versa, they're always work together. The more I work with leaders, uh, the more it just helps to break down our strengths, our weaknesses, and where we're going to naturally, and then where we can really collaborate and work together. It it makes all the difference when you understand that people aren't just lesser versions of us. You know, it's not like, oh, well, everyone should respond like I do. And so when they're not, they're just, they just need to work harder. No, you know, people really are wired to bring different perspectives different skill sets, and we need to have some grace for each other, but then we also have to have the humility to own the broccoli in our own teeth and work on our tendencies so that we can actually or influence, but actually shape a great team reality and have a lot more success. So. Oh,
0: thank you so much for that brilliant analogy, and and so I really appreciate your energy. And you know, let's shift gears and and kind of switch to what it, what excites you these days. Sure. What are what's inspiring you? What are you reading? What 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 are you into now? And that gives you life.
1: What am I not reading? So I mentioned before, I'm an English major or was an English major. So. I love to read. Um, When it comes to leadership, uh, there's some great books out there and I try to balance my love of fiction with some really great principles and and just hardcore data and truths. So Cole Nafik, Storytelling with Data is a book that I've loved lately because data is being collected all the time. It's kind of scary, you know, the Big Brother whole aspect of it, but our world is data-driven. And so the more, you know, I love... I don't really love numbers and facts and figures. That's never been my thing. But storytelling is definitely just something I love. And so when you can use data to actually tell a story and make it come alive, um, that really makes an impact. Chris Voss, never split the difference. I'm not a natural negotiator, but, man, that guy is brilliant. He was a hostage negotiator. And so he takes all that he's learned. um, And I love the psychology parts that he brings into it Um, and just talks about whether you're negotiating with your children about bedtime or negotiating a business deal. We need to learn what it's like to be on the other side of us in negotiations and then how to do that effectively. One of the books that Giant produced last year called The 100x Leader, um, it really is that whole concept. It's giant in a nutshell. We want you to be 100% healthy and then know how to multiply. Not just be that leader that adds to people's life. Like, yeah, come, we'll have coffee and I'll tell you everything I know. (laughs) But how do you actually apprentice yourself? How do you multiply your skill set and your health? Um, So that book's great. And then what I just started recently is Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. Man, that is powerful. Like powerful concepts, particularly for me, who holds a Christian worldview, you know, it's not just about, <laughs> you know, this short lifetime. He he just forecasts what legacy are you really leaving and are the things you're doing just for the here and now, or are you actually playing the infinite game? Because it changes our daily decisions. It changes the way we actually interact um, with just the current circumstances we've been given, which... Mm -hmm. particularly in the last week or nothing, you know, all of us would have predicted a month ago. So I've been, I've been really enjoying those.
0: That's a great segue maybe into some comments that you and I talked about, you know, on off air before we started, uh, and, and again, given our current situations, uh, both your family and mine, of course, in ministry and uh, your work with leaders, uh, tell us about the facing the, the coronavirus and, and, you know, the restrictions and precautions that we're facing as as individuals and organizations. Tell us uh, that, you, explain the two different people that you kind of explained to me before we started.
1: Yes. Um, so, like I mentioned before, I love starting with leaders, really understanding their personal personalities, they're wiring, and and there's a lot of different type, but you can break down the population into two different segments. We have our present-oriented voices, people who are wired for the here and now, the day-to-day. They're really good at being present with people and noticing. They're usually people who have a to-do list and a task list. They're really here and now. They don't miss paying their bills. They're like just on it. I love those types of people. I'm not one. I don't have those gifts. Uh, But that's 73% of the population that are wired for the here and now. And thank God for them because they actually attend to the details, get things done, make things happen. But then there's the 27% of the world that are more future-oriented voices and future-oriented leaders. And so they're always thinking about future concepts. They're not present in today. You know, they're usually the ones that are daydreaming. You're going to catch them in a conversation. You're like, "Are you really listening?" Mm, probably not. <laughs> you said something that made them think of something happening next week or next month, and so they're off daydreaming about it. The visionary uh, future leaders really have an opportunity right now because this is not normal we've got to use our imaginations to really forecast some ingenuity and innovation coupled with the reality and that's where those present oriented voices can really help us because they're aware of the data the day-to-day they're going to pay attention to those news broadcasts and how many people have corona right now and they they're really going to help build that bridge into the future Um, but it is those leaders who are wired to dream and to you know be creative and use their imagination to figure out a new normal. I think there's real opportunity there if they'll actually begin to be faithful to that. Instead of using their imagination to worry, to actually be solutions-driven and bring some new creative ideas to some complex problems. That's where that type of leader can really um, be a gift to whoever they're with, whether it's their family or their organization. But then likewise, those that are wired for the present and day-to-day thinking if those future leaders will uh, really share their ideas in ways that those present leaders can attach and then begin to build a bridge together. I mean, together, they can build something that is so innovative and part of solving some of the current crisis we have that it can be such great synergy. And so I hope that that's what we see in the days and the weeks to come. Instead of people falling apart under the pressure that, People, you know, are, are taking care of themselves because that's number one importance. You can't lead. You can't be creative if you're not healthy. And so staying healthy as much as possible when we're kind of locked down a little bit, um, just eating right, sleeping, taking care of ourselves, but then really using this opportunity, some of the margin that we have now to be creative, to dream a little bit, to be solutions-based, Um, and lead from that posture as opposed to just the worry and anxiety that that is common that we're seeing around us.
0: Oh, thank you, Susie. That's really encouraging because I would say for the most part, the interaction I've had with our listeners is that they, they do consider themselves probably part of the 27%. Some of those that Mm -hmm. are are dreamers, highly positive uh, folks that that are trying to find creative solutions to the problems that we're facing even today. Thank you for that. that. That is really exciting. And, um, You know, a couple, just two more questions here for you. I I don't want to keep you too much longer, but you and I met when you were about 19 or 20 years old. I remember not being able to tell you or your (laughs) sister apart. The funny story I'll tell is that you did me a favor uh, as your coach, and I I was quite relational. I wanted to get to know you. Chrissy decided to cut her hair a little shorter than yours, and so that helped us out a lot because her name, C, Chrissy, (laughs) came before S, Susie, in in the alphabet, and so Susie had the longer hair, and immediately then I could tell you apart. And then as our relationship grew, even to this day, I believe I could probably tell you apart. So um, your running strides were very similar, although it was slightly different. And uh, it was a pleasure to be a mm-hmm. part of uh, the, the leadership and the mentorship that, that you appreciated at Malone. But uh, take me back to the time when you were 20 years old. And I would like you to give some advice to that to that young lady even today.
1: I think my first piece of advice to her would be, don't be afraid to be yourself. I was always trying to figure out who I was. um, And maybe that's because I came into the world as a surprise or an identical twin. I don't know. I think I would tell her, be yourself. Don't be afraid. And those crazy ideas you have, go for them. They're going to work. If you actually have the bravery to put them into action, don't worry about what people are going to think of you. Just go for it. It took me a lot... (laughs) lot of time to figure out that lesson and I think yeah they're just having that confidence to be be myself I would tell myself and this was advice I kind of took travel explore go see the world meet meet new people don't play it safe Um, after Malone I got to go live in England for a while and teach and travel and and it was the highlight genuinely of my life I love to see different people and cultures and how they work so I would encourage her to to do that I would say to her, take money more seriously. Not because you love it, but because it's not evil and it does create opportunities. Um, compound interest is a beautiful thing. <laughs> I, I just have always been someone who never cared much um, about that, but had I taken it a lot more seriously as a 20 year old, um, yeah, I'd just be in a different different position. So. I would, yeah, I would have gone through Financial Peace University, although I don't even know if it existed back then. <laughs> um, but I would have done that. And then I, my final word of advice to my 20-year-old self is, this is a great adventure. When you're following Jesus and you are living life to the fullest, It's gonna be a great adventure and there's gonna be some really high highs, amazing views, and there's gonna be some valleys. There's gonna be some things you're gonna walk through that are going to feel like you are dragging yourself through the mud, but you'll be stronger and you will come out on the other side. Just hang on to Jesus. He'll never let you go. He's gonna carry you in those times where you can't walk and can't run when everything's dark and you're gonna become somebody that, He's seen all along that you have it, but he's seen it. You just keep walking with him. I think that's mm. what I'd say to my 20-year-old self.
0: Very well said. Thank you for that. Uh, how can folks get in touch with you? Tell us, uh, tell us how best to, to reach Susie Lance.
1: Sure. So my email would probably be the easiest way if you want to personally contact. Um, and it's just susie S-U-Z-I, dot Lance, L-A-N-T-Z, at GiantWorldwide.com. Um, But then we also have a really unique tool that I want to give your listeners access to. It's our platform, Giant TV. We kind of, it's the Netflix slash peloton of leadership. This link, giant.tv slash Suzy, S U Z I, Lance, L A N T Z, will give you a month of free access. And then, you know, if you forget, you don't have to put in a credit card or anything. um, But if you do, it'll unlock everything. It's $8.99 a month if you want access after that. But it really is um, fun. When our quarantine's over, I do uh, toolkit sessions down at the One Center for Leadership in Canton downtown. They're free on the first Friday of every month at 1130. And so anyone in the community is welcome to attend those. They're 90-minute sessions that just really are designed to help you uh, look in the mirror of your own leadership and ask, you know, am I a leader worth following? following it gives you that lens you could bring yourself your team it's just a lot of fun great group of people that end up there every month so those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me
0: Susie that is so kind of you I really appreciate your time today thanks so much
1: absolutely thanks for having me coach
0: Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Encouragers United podcast with me, Charlie Grimes. For more information and to connect with optimistic, enthusiastic leaders all over the world, be sure to search for Encouragers United on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. Or you can visit my website, charlesrgrimes.com.